Sometimes you hear us use the term, or many people use the term, for people who are uh, saved. Uh, I, I've become a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible's term is, I've become a disciple of Jesus. What I really like is the term apprentice, because it really, um, that word pictures what really happens to us. Uh, when you become an apprentice, for example, to a carpenter or to a plumber, um, back when I was in high school, I became an apprentice to a master plumber. And so he, I would watch what he would do. He would explain to me what he's doing, why he's doing it. And I would go through instructions in school, you know, at night. And I would work with him during the day. And then he would have me do it. And then he observed me doing it. And so what you ultimately want to do in this apprenticeship is that you want to have the level of mastery over, whether it's a carpenter or a plumber, an electrician, whatever it is, by the end of about four-year stint of time so that you begin to reflect the person that you studied under. Well, this is exactly what Jesus wants for us is that we become his apprentice and we attach ourselves to him and we observe him through scripture and we want to become like him. And so Jesus teaches us how to enter into the kingdom of God, how to live in the kingdom of God so that we as kingdom citizens might reflect him back to the world around us. So as an apprentice of Jesus, I want Jesus's life to to so impact my life that whatever I'm, circumstance I'm in, I'm going to reflect Jesus back to the individuals or individual or whatever it is uh, that Christ is living in and through me. So it doesn't matter what your, um, what your, occup what, what your occupation is, right? So it's, if you're a teacher, then this is what Jesus would look like if he is a teacher. If you're whatever your area of occupation, this is what Jesus would look like if he were doing this. Now, there's no place where this is more important that we reflect Jesus back to the world around us. And remember, this series is tackling four areas of relationships with God, ourselves, others, and our community or the world around us. And this topic today is going to hit on all four avenues of those relationships. And that is this. We all have to deal with the abuse and the hurt and the pain of life. There is not one single person sitting here today or watching via Facebook who has not been hurt or wounded throughout the course of your lifetime. You have some very painful memories, some very painful experiences, but in order to experience healing and freedom from our hurt, it's going to require something monumental from us. And this thing that is required of us does not come easily. It's just like, oh, okay, I'll just do that and, and move on with life. But Jesus displayed this for us through his teachings, through his example. He taught it to his own apprentices who taught their apprentices. And one of those was the Apostle Paul, who, you know, in Ephesians 4 talks about this very issue. And it is the issue of forgiveness. Now, we hear a lot about forgiveness, and people say, well, you know, I've forgiven, and so on and so forth. But many people get stuck in unforgiveness over the ways that you have been wounded in life. And here's why we're dealing with this topic in spiritual warfare and why it is so, so important. This is on the top of your outline. is the very first fill in the blank. If you don't let your past hurts die, they will not allow you to live. Right? If you don't, if you don't allow your past hurts to die, if you don't heal that woundedness, if you don't take care of inner healing, then those past hurts will not let you live in the present, not to the degree that God wants you to live, and not to the degree that God wants you to experience life. 
Now, immediately, pushback is always, well, how in the world am I going to forgive, you know, my, when my ex tries to make my life miserable? Or, with the, you know, the neighbor that I live beside, man, you, they, make my, they make living in my home an absolute nightmare. Um, you know, it's like sometimes with my neighbors, now they've gone now, but, you know, SWAT's been there and... Who knew, right? So, or, or your mom is constantly yelling at you and putting you down, or maybe your father seems completely oblivious to your existence. Maybe you had a very, very close friend who betrayed you or a coworker who is very cruel and manipulative in your workplace towards you. Maybe it's a spouse who cheated on you, or maybe it's a relative who abused you. Every single one of us experiences hurt. Hurt never remains just as hurt. Hurt always evolves into anger. Anger is a secondary emotion that is caused by something else. Anger evolves then into resentment, to bitterness, to unforgiveness, and it becomes very, very toxic emotionally, which is why the Bible says to us, let no root of bitterness spring up within you because it defiles, the Bible says, the entire body, body, soul, and spirit. It defiles you and it manipulates you when um, bitterness becomes toxic. So after Paul says in Ephesians 4, we'll get there in a minute, but here's one of the statements. He says, listen, in your anger, he didn't say it's a sin to be angry. He says, in your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your, while you're still angry. Now, does that mean, Paul mean, well, I can't go to bed at night until all my anger's you know, like been rid of me? That's not what he's saying at all. But what he is saying and what he's warning is that if you let enough sunsets go by, if you let enough time go by, and you allow bitterness to go unresolved and unforgiveness and that toxic emotion that's rolling around inside of you, it will affect your life in a very, very dramatic way, and it will always come out. And what is done to you begins to shape your identity, and what has been done to you begins to define you, and we can find ourselves held prisoner, not by something that we did in the past, but perhaps by something that someone did to us. So God wants to, to release us from that pain, from that hurt. The Holy Spirit wants to bring healing where there is woundedness so that we are free to experience um, joy and peace and confidence and contentment and all of these things in our lives that you probably will not experience, or at least you'll have a very difficult time experiencing that in your life if you're harboring toxic emotions. Because that toxicity, I mean, it, it penetrates every area of your life. Now, we're going to discover there are two levels of forgiveness. The first level is this, forgiving those who have hurt us. Forgiving those who have hurt us. This is not on your outline, but uh, you might jot it down. And um, now, if somebody hurts you that you barely know, you know, it's like water running off a duck's back, no big deal. But if it's somebody you know, somebody you trust, a friend, a, a, a spouse, a parent, uh, you know, um, maybe somebody you looked up to, a, a coach, a boss, and they hurt you deeply, that's a whole, whole different story. And so um, Jesus says we have to deal with these issues of anger and these issue of woundedness because if we don't, it's going to evolve into resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. And so we get stuck in the past and we're unable to move forward into the future without remaining chained to our past hurt and woundedness. But here's the second level because after we've, we say, well, okay, I've forgiven that person. And sometimes we do that kind of haphazardly. Oh, well, I forgave them or 
And, and here, here's, here's what I see a lot of times. People say, well, you know, I forgave them for that. And it's quite obvious they're still harboring the woundedness, the anger, the hurt, the bitterness, because they've never allowed God to heal them of that, even though they say they have forgiven. So here's level two. Level two is about releasing your own hurt and your own woundedness. Until there is healing where that woundedness took place, it's going to be very, very difficult to live in the freedom and the victory of Jesus that he came for you to live in. And so um, you have to find a way in partnership with Jesus, the community of Christ, to get healthy and free and whole of these feelings of anger, bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. And I would even take a step further. You're gonna, we're, we'll talk about this later. You're going to have to choose to leverage the evil that was done to you, release grace, and then allow God to transform your pain into something that is beneficial both to you and to others. That's when you know healing's taken place. That's when you know you have graduated from level two. So let's look in Matthew 18. Let me just set up the context here. You're in the first century, and according to rabbinical teachings in the first century, you know, you could, you know, if somebody wounded you, somebody hurt you, uh, how many times do I, do I have to forgive them? Well, some rabbis taught, well, it's three times. Others taught, no, it's seven times. And so Peter obviously has experienced something in an ongoing way that's creating woundedness in him. So he approaches Jesus, and he asks Jesus, you know, uh, Lord, beginning in, in uh, verse 21, Peter came to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to, like, seven times? <laughs> and so I think, G I think Peter's like, uh, you know, Lord, is, is it complete there? Do I have to be a complete doormat, or is there a level, a threshold I can get to and after that, I don't have to forgive them anymore. And Jesus says to him, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. That is where you get the number of 490. In other words, this is a hyperbole that Jesus is using. He's not saying get out an Excel spreadsheet, and when you've forgiven them the 490th time, you're off the hook after that. Jesus is saying, in essence, there is no limit it is limitless. There is no point at which you say, I no longer have to forgive. And so, um, now I'm, I'm sure that like uh, Peter, because you know Jesus' goal for all of his apprentices, not just Peter, but for you and me, is that we learn how to live with a forgiving nature without limits. Now I'm sure that Peter, like us, our inner lawyer stands up and says, objection, objection, uh, Pe Jesus, um, you don't understand how much they hurt me. You don't understand the lasting consequences of this. You don't understand it. You don't understand. And so Jesus, anticipating this question like any good teacher would, he launches into a story that addresses that objection. And here he goes. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like the king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now 10,000 talents... Now, that's a large, massive measurement sum of money, probably in our day and time, 12 to $15 million, even, maybe even more. And so the idea here is it's such a large amount of money, this guy is, there's no way he could ever pay it back. And so um, as he began the settlement, therefore the king, kingdom of heaven, he says, is um, uh, 
is like the king who wanted to settle accounts, and he began to settle with the man who owed him 10000 Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And so the idea here is um, the king's going to provide a way by which the debt can be, can be paid off. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, we wouldn't get this in our, in our Western mindset, but this is like a joke, right? Jesus is telling a joke. People would be laughing at this point. This would be like saying, you owe somebody $12 million, you work at McDonald's for minimum wage, and you say, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. There ain't no way in the world you're ever going to pay them back. So this is kind of a joke. And so the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That word canceled the debt is the word forgiveness, and let him go. And so he can't pay it back. The king says, I'll absorb the cost. I'm going to forgive the debt. I'm letting you go. And so then it says in verse 28, but when the servant went out, he's found a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. That's a, a day's wage. And so he, he owed him about three months back pay. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. This fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, okay, this guy owes like three months back pay. So, humanly speaking, he could eventually pay that debt off, but this guy, who just got forgiven a debt he couldn't possibly pay off, says, I'm not letting you out of that debt. You are going to pay me back, and I mean every single cent. Then it says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had it on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay it all back, that everything that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother, watch this, catch this, from your what? From your heart. Now, oftentimes we read over that, but we don't stop and pause long enough to to gather in the magnitude of what Jesus from your heart. It's not just enough to cancel the debt. If you, if you cancel the debt, level one, but level two, you continue to harbor anger and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and all the negative toxicity of the emotions you're housing within you, you have not completed the process of forgiveness. You must complete both levels if you want to live free, if you want to live healed and whole from the woundedness that has taken place in your life. And notice, this is commanded by Jesus. This isn't like, oh, in case you're in the mood, or if you think it's a good idea, this is a command that Christ is given. You are going to forgive the cancel the debt, and oh, by the way, from your heart, you're going to make sure that you Root out everything in your heart that's holding you chained to this past event that you claim that you have forgiven and absolved that person of what you feel like they owe you. And so Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not already done for us. Go to Luke chapter 23. 
Luke 23. And here Jesus is put in a position where he has to practice what he is preaching. Luke 23 and verse 32. Remember, Jesus is being crucified. There's two other men who are being crucified with him. The two other men, it says in verse 32, are criminals. They were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified. They crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And so these two criminals are insurrectionists. They're murderers. They deserve what they are getting. Obviously, Jesus is the innocent party here, but yet he's being crucified in between two criminals. But notice how Jesus responds to what is happening to him. Father, forgive them. Not Father, strike them down. Not Father, call fire down from heaven. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Who is the they and who is the them? He's speaking of those who are certainly there, but more importantly, he is speaking to his executioners, the very ones who nailed him to that cross, who strung him up, and for all the, the, those who are there to see, the full weight of the gravity of the story is this. Here is Jesus dying on this cross. He's the innocent victim carrying the full weight of injustice on his shoulders. And at his feet are the men who not only are not sorry for killing him, but they're also gambling for his clothes, which means they're trying to take away even any ounce of dignity that he might have prior to his death, and it is to those executioners that Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so the idea from the writer of Luke is Jesus is willing to forgive the very men who are killing him. How much more should you and I be willing to forgive those who are not physically killing us, although they may have deeply, deeply wounded you because of their actions or what it is they said that wounded you. And so what Jesus is like, and by default what God is like, is what we are to be like. If we are apprentices of Jesus, and we are reflecting back the very life of Jesus to the world around us, then throughout the course of our lifetime, if you're in a marriage relationship, or you have kids, or you have an extended family, or you have co-workers, or you just have neighbors, you're going to have to exercise forgiveness a thousand times over, over during the course of your lifetime. But here's the key. A lot of Christians say, yes, I have forgiven, but you still have this massive wound inside of you that has never actually been healed from the woundedness. And you've only gone to one level of forgiveness, and you've not completed the process. So now turn to Ephesians 4, because here's where the apprentice, uh, the apostle Paul comes in, and he picks up the scenario. Because Paul, again, he understands, he realizes, certainly in his own life, he was a persecutor of the church who, became, who had a dramatic transformation experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, became you know, a prop propagator of the gospel of Jesus, wrote much of the New Testament, established multiple churches, and Paul himself, when he gives his litany in 2 Corinthians of how he's been beaten and, you know, 
left for dead and, and the whole array of things that have been done to him, Paul could have walked around with a gaping wound of woundedness a mile wide. But instead, and what the Bible says as we attach the teachings, an example of Jesus to us as apprentice, here's the tagline that you're going to see all throughout the New Testament. We are to forgive others just as Christ forgave us. We are to reflect that back to the world around us. And so, uh, after three chapters of writing about what Christ has done for us, we come to chapter 4, and here's what Paul says beginning in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood in speaking truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. What is bitterness? Bitterness is the, word, is the word for poison. It's like an emotion that poisons your entire um, inner being. Rage is anger that's out of control. Brawling is anger that's finding a way to release. Slandering somebody means you are trying to ruin their reputation and you want to bring others in on it. And malice is the desire to harm somebody, whether it's you punching them, a knife, a gun, whatever it might be, words that you speak. You're trying to assassinate the character of that individual and you want everyone else to feel the same way you do about them. So you're going to use the, your words to tear them down and when people hear what's being said about them, and maybe this has happened to you, there is great woundedness that happens inside of us because that's like the ultimate form of rejection. Now, notice Paul ties two things together because we want to separate them. So if you're sideways with, say, you know, a coworker or a spouse, a child, an ex-friend, whatever it might be, how you relay is how you relate. In other words... You can't separate that out. You can't say, well, I've forgiven them when you really haven't because you still got the woundedness in you and, or, or you're harboring things against them and yet you say, but I love Jesus. I'm walking with the Lord. And God says, especially in 1 John, you can't hate your brother and love me. It doesn't work that way. If you're not right with your brother and sisters in Christ, you're not right with me. You, you can't separate the two out. It's a whole. It's one. It's, it's a whole thing. And so um, Paul says, we don't want to harbor this bitterness, anger, rage, gossip, because if we do, we're, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're, you're severing the relationship, not in that you're not a, no longer a child of God, but you're severing the fellowship between you and the Father, just like you severed the fellowship between you and the person who has hurt you, who, who has harmed you. Now, you say, well, what if it's, this person has harmed me in a very physical way? 
Like, if I was a rape victim, do you mean to tell me that I have to forgive that person? Yes. But it doesn't mean that you have to have a relationship with that person. It doesn't mean you trust them. It doesn't mean they're going to be your friend. It doesn't mean that, you know, we, we take forgiveness and we, we attach all kinds of things to it that it doesn't really mean. What I really want to focus on this morning is more on the aspect of have, having you experience healing where there is deep woundedness. Forgiveness is both a decision and a process. And it has two levels. Level one, you're releasing someone from the debt you feel like they owe you. Level two, you are releasing your own heart from its anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. Level one is about them. Level two is about you. Level one is about the past. Level two is about the present and your future. So we want to learn how to do this. So let me say this out of the gate. There are four dimensions to forgiving. This corresponds with the four relationships. Number one is you have to forgive others for hurting you, right? So this is what the Bible teaches us. When people hurt us, we are to forgive them. How many times? Seven times? No, no. Seventy times seven. It's unlimited. You need to offload that. You need to unload that, not necessarily for their sake, but for your sake. People say, well, I can't forgive because if I forgive, that means I'm letting them off the hook. They're not on your hook. They're on God's hook. God will see to it that justice is issued out, that everyone will receive what justice is rightfully due them, whether it happens in this lifetime or beyond. And so if you're forgiving somebody, maybe you're forgiving your father who abandoned you, or maybe your mother who was a hyper-perfectionist, critical, overbearing, you know, or a coworker who's always looking for a sarcastic dig at the office, the way we forgive is by we cancel the debt. Now, if you're going to cancel a debt, you have to figure out what do they owe me? What do they owe you? You need to figure that out. What is it? All right, so my dad abandoned. What did he owe me? If there's unforgiveness, there's hurt, there's anger, there's bitterness, resentment, what does he owe me? And can he even pay that back? Just like the king with the servant, he couldn't possibly pay back what the king owed him. That's a very important aspect. But you need to release them of what you think they owe you. That's a part of the process. Number two, forgiving yourself for making a mess of things. I don't know if I'm the only one here who has ever made stupid decisions, who had to suffer the consequences of those bad decisions. Uh, if I am, then I'm here all alone. But I would dare say that all of us could probably give testimony of bad decisions we've made, and we suffered the consequences of those decisions, and then... We had a difficult time forgiving ourselves for what it is that we did because it created so much pain, hurt, or maybe even uh, abuse in the lives of somebody else or many other people. Number three is the dimension of forgiving, what, forgiving life for being unfair. Forgiving life for being unfair. If you're a parent, I'll guarantee you that at some point you said to your children, life is not fair. You need to get used to that. It's just not always fair. So I had two daughters. One was two years older than the other one. So what happens? Well, when the older one reaches a certain age, she gets to stay up later, to which her younger sister says, but that's not fair. I have to go to bed at this time. She gets to stay up till this time. It's not fair, to which we respond, life isn't fair, right? So we, we, we get that concept. 
Instinctively, we think life ought to be fair, and it should be. But because we live in a fallen world among fallen people, life just is not fair. And what really pushes us is comparison. When we start comparing ourselves, well, Lord, uh, why is it that I have all these health issues, and this person over here, they've never had a health issue their entire life? Or, Lord, why is it that, you know, they were born into the rich, wealthy family, gone to the best colleges, and yet I'm far more intellectually superior than them, and I've been born in a poor family, and I'm struggling to get through school? Well, that isn't fair, Lord. Why, why are you? So whenever you get into this comparison mode, you're going to be whining about how life is not fair. Well, you're right. Life is just not always fair. But it doesn't mean it has to stop you from fulfilling your God-given destiny. Number four, and that is forgiving God for not protecting you the way that you think he should have. I hear this on a regular basis. Well, I'm just forgiving God for whatever. <laughs> and we often blame God for things that, first of all, he's not even responsible for. These are consequences of our own bad decisions. We try to blame God for them. But I would dare say that most of us, if not all of us, at some point in our life, some juncture in our life, let's just be honest with each other. We were just kind of ticked off with God. We were angry at God. We were hurt by God. And so it really bothered us. Um, for example, you know, it's like, God, did you not see this coming? I've been praying. I've been fasting for this. And, and Lord, you let this happen. Could you not at least have warned me about this decision I was about to make that was a bad decision, could you not somehow, some way have stopped me dead in my tracks before I made a decision that was going to unravel consequences that were going to be devastating to me or my family? God, really? Could you not have at least done that? Or, you know, I wasn't playing video games, you know, during the time. I was, I was paying attention. So, um, you know, why, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you not keep this harm from coming into my life. And here I'm asking you to get me out of it, and heaven is silent. Why? And so oftentimes we harbor feelings of anger, not only at other people and ourselves and life for being unfair, but honestly, we harbor angry feelings towards God. And if you nurse those feelings, those anger, angry feelings towards God, then you're going to cut yourself off from the true source of comfort, healing, and freedom. And that's not where God wants you. So we've got to learn to deal with the woundedness. None of us opt out of the practice of forgiving because nobody comes into adulthood unwounded. Psychologists... Um, called children pre-neurotic. What that means is, you know, you have kids, your kids love you, right? But what they don't realize, as a parent, you're going to mess them up. I'm telling you, by the time they get out of your house, you're going to mess them up. I don't care how good of a father or a mother you are, somehow, someway, you're going to mess them up in different ways. Not that you did it intentionally, but you're going to bring some hurt and woundedness into their lives and they're going to question you, and you're not going to have the answers, and you're going to do things, say things. And so one of the most humbling things to recognize as a dad that I had to recognize is that no matter how good of a father I think I was going to be, I was going to bring some hurt and woundedness into their lives. Now, again, not intentionally, but hopefully a lot less than other fathers. 
And so this is why it's so, so important, for example, as a father, that I would learn how to what? To say, I'm sorry, to apologize to my children. Maybe I reacted or overreacted in an inappropriate way. I let my anger get out of control. And there are times I had to go upstairs to my, my daughter's room and say, you know what? I'm sorry I responded that way. I should never have responded that way. I'm asking you to forgive me for what I've done. I don't want to be that kind of father. And I certainly don't want you to think that God's that kind of father. So that goes a long way to helping your children from having therapy later on. But here's what I discovered. No matter how good of a father or mother you think you are, your children are going to need therapy if they're going to get whole. I'm just telling you. It's just a question of how much. It's not if they need it. It's just how much they're going to need uh, at the end of our time together with them. And so my point is this, that all of us, whether you come from a picture-perfect family or from trauma, we all come wounded. We all come a little beat up, ignored, rejected, demeaned. And so out of our woundedness, this just if we don't learn how to, to experience healing in the woundedness, it leaks out. And it leaks out in many ways. The passive-aggressive uh, manner where, you know, we say things and we do things that, that are just, uh, they're just like an angst. My wife and I used to, we used to make a joke all the time. We, we'd do something we shouldn't have done with our kids, and we'd say, well, that's going to cost us in therapy later. Um, <laughs> and so sometimes the anger leaks out in violence, and violence strikes a lot of families so let's talk about healing your hurts. How do you heal the hurts that you feel? The question is, when you hurt, what do you do with it? When you are wounded by other people, when you, you make bad decisions in life, when life is unfair, when you become angry at God because you feel like he did not protect you in a way that he ought to have, or he didn't give you the heads up that you felt like you needed, how do you heal from that hurt? Let me give you two don'ts and then what you need to do. Number one, do not, do not repress the hurt. Do not repress the hurt. In other words, don't internalize the wound. If you internalize, if you're like most men, we're like turtles in a shell, right? So we get wounded, we just kind of move into our shell, and we try to work it out in our minds, and we think, you know, if I can work this out in my head, and then, you know, I used to do that when we first got married, and I'd go into my shell, and, you know, Marla, women like to talk about their woundedness and get it out in, in the open, and, and, um, and so, you know, she wanted me to talk about it, but I wouldn't talk about it, so then she in turn was hurt because she felt like I was shutting her out, and I didn't deem her important, I didn't deem her opinion helpful, and so, but I'm trying to work it out, work it out. You do not want to repress it because, watch this, if you keep it repressed, that means it can, it can become a generational sin. Because remember, when you bury that toxicity, it will come out. It comes out sometimes in sarcasm. It comes out in attitudes. It comes out in actions. It comes out in speech. And it may not be what you say. It might just be the way you say it that just like causes people to bristle and to just kind of like back up against the wall. It's like, ooh, uh, that, that's, that's hurtful. That's harmful. And rather than surrendering them to God, you just push them down. You repress it. And so you refuse to let them come to the surface, and to repress something means that you suppress it by force. Like every time it tries to rise up, I'm going to push it back down, rise, push it back down, rise up, push it back down. That is very unhelpful and very unhealthy. 
Second don't is don't, um, don't rehearse the hurt. Uh, for some of you, um, it is your, your, the hurt is your favorite memory. And we, that moment of betrayal, the, the hurtful words or the treatment that you received, like it just plays over and over and over in your mind. And it's just like a tape recording that goes off and off. And you see the faces. You feel the feelings all over again. You, you, watch this. When you take an event and you attach an emotion to it, that becomes a very powerful thing. For example, those of you who are married, the day that you got married, you probably remember the song that was played on your first dance at your reception. You took a memory and an emotion, and you tie that together, it is powerful. And if you just keep rehearsing this, you just keep the wound open. It never has the chance to scab over. And even if it gets to that point, you just rip it back off and live it all over again and rehearse it. And then that's when we have private conversations in our minds and our heads. We're thinking, well, I, if I would have just said this, this, and this, if I would just responded this way, I could have really got them back. I could, I could have really put them in their place. And we have these, you know, mythical conversations in our minds about how we should have handled it, what we should have done. And so we just keep rehearsing and rehearsing, rehearsing. And that never, never, never allows the woundedness to heal. So here's what you have to do. This isn't, oh, I think this is a good idea. This is what Scripture teaches. You have to release that hurt. Watch this, because this is what Jesus did. This is what he taught his, his apprentices to do. You have to release that hurt by extending grace to those who hurt you. By extending grace. Again, Paul says, by forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven you. Our first thought is what? No, 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 no. I need to retaliate. I need retribution. I need revenge. But that's not what he says. He says you, you demonstrate Jesus living in and through you by extending grace. And here's how you extend the grace. First of all, you cancel the debt. Whatever it is they owe you. So what did the king do with the servant who could not possibly pay the debt? Which, by the way, the king represents our heavenly father. We are the servants who owed God a sin debt. We could no way, shape, or form ever pay him back. And so what did God do for us through Jesus? He extended grace from heaven to earth through Jesus, extended grace to us, and took our sin debt, and he marked it paid in full, forgiven forever. He canceled what was owed to him. That's grace. Here's the second thing. If you're extending forgiveness, you have to absorb the cost. When the king forgave the servant, who absorbed the cost? The king did. When Jesus forgave us, who absorbed the cost? Jesus did. That's why I went to the cross. When we forgive others, who has to absorb the cost? We do. That's what it means to extend grace. I'm not asking you to pay me back. For example, with my dad, what, how, okay, so the debt that I felt like he owed me was my childhood. How could he pay that back? He couldn't pay that back. That was gone. There's no second chance in that. And so one of the things that God taught me, and it was a very, very hard lesson and a long, long road of processing this and, and trying to, you know, forgive and, and uh, you know, cancel the debt, absorb the cost. But when I came to that point in my life that I could do that, 
That's when inner healing began because here's what God did. And this is the, 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 the important because this is level two right here. That, the first two, canceling debt, absorbing the cost, level one, forgiveness. Here's level two. You have to transform the pain. Allow God to transform the pain. You have to choose to level the evil done to you, release grace, and allow God to transform the pain into something that was, remember, beneficial both to you and to others. This is where healing comes. Apart from it, it will not. Because what you fail to transform, you will transmit. What do I mean by that? We have to figure out how to deal with the hurt because if we don't transform, we transmit. In other words, the saying goes like this. Hurt people hurt people. Whether intentionally or unintentionally. Show me someone who is constantly hurting people, I'll show you someone who's been hurt. It's no accident by, you know, every statistic out there, every, whether, you know, in the field of psychology or whatever, 90% of abusers have been abused themselves, whether mentally or physically or emotionally or sexually. That doesn't mean that all hurt people hurt people, but a large number. We, we know statistically that almost all sexual predators themselves were preyed upon as a child and experienced molestation. Doesn't mean that all people who have experienced that become molesters, but a large portion do. Hurt people hurt people. If we don't allow that hurt and woundedness to be transformed, we just simply transmit it. Any pain or tension we don't transform, we transmit. In the face of jealousy, anger, bitterness, hatred, we, we have to be like a water purifier. Like we used to have a Brita thing and you put the water on the top and the Brita filter and then the water came out the other end. It was much more pure. That's what Jesus wants us to be like as an apprentice of his. We, we've experienced this woundedness, however that has come into your life, and we want to allow God to transform that woundedness so that as that woundedness filters itself through us, it comes out on the other side as something purified, something that God can leverage to benefit not only us, but to benefit the lives of people around us. This is what Jesus did on the cross, is it not? He says it was for the joy, of, for the joy that he encountered the cross so that on the other side he could, ex he could extend God's grace called salvation and have the forgiveness of our sins. And so there's a low road and a high road. You can either take the low road and just kind of like, you know, get back at people, or you can take the high road and cancel the debt and look for God for a way that God's going to transform your life. So here's, here's the second thing is what you fail to transform, you open the door for the demonic. Remember what Paul said? Do not give the devil a foothold. That word foothold is the Greek word that means staging ground. Don't give him a staging ground from which to operate in your life because if you're carrying around this woundedness and this toxicity within you, you have provided a means by which he's going to just kind of like barge through your front door and then enter into all the rooms in your heart. It's not going to stop at the front door. You're giving him a place from which to operate, what Paul calls later on strongholds in our lives. And remember, what's the goal of Satan? To steal, kill, and destroy. All right? So he wants to steal your joy. Well, how does he steal joy? By allowing us to harbor bitterness and rage and unforgiveness. You can't have joy when you're harboring that kind of stuff. 
He says he comes to steal and to kill. How does he kill? In all kinds of ways. Some of them are just through health issues. You know, there are a lot of health issues connected to chronic anger and bitterness, unforgiveness. Even neurologists can take a map of your brain, and if there's bitterness and unforgiveness, there's literally a brown spot that begins to form on your brain, and they've discovered that people who walk through forgiveness, the avenue of forgiveness and healing, that will be gone in three days. There are other uh, um, diseases such as heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, arthritis, insomnia, gastrointestinal problems, ulcers, lupus, skin problems, sleep disorders have all been tied back to this issue of deep-seated bitterness and anger. You can't put toxicity in your soul and not have it affect your body. It's impossible. And he says he comes to destroy. The truth is, these emotions can not only mess with our minds, but they obviously threaten our lives. It's a form of self-destruction. Here's what God knows. If you refuse to believe, forgive, if you refuse to allow him to heal that woundedness, you just pushed the self-destruction button of your life. It's just a matter of time. Now, not to mention the havoc it creates upon relationships with other people and your walk with God. Because if you went to Galatians chapter 5, here's what Paul said. If you're not walking in the spirit, you're walking in the flesh. And if you're walking in the flesh and you're harboring all this stuff, here's what comes out through your life. Here's what's going to happen. Here's, here's, rather than reflecting Jesus back, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, here's what you're going to reflect back to the world. Even as a follower of Jesus, sexual immorality, impurity, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, and the like. He says the list just goes on. Why? Because it's the toxicity that's coming out of us. So when you choose to transform, this is the last one, when you choose to transform, God will use your past to give someone else a future. Again, Jesus was an example of this. Stephen, in the, in the book of Acts, was an example. Remember Stephen? He was a deacon in the church. He's telling people about Jesus. They didn't like it. They covered their ears. They started yelling, drug him out of the city, and stoned him to death. As they're stoning him, Stephen looks up into heaven and says, Lord Jesus, um, um, receive my spirit. And then he, to those who, his executioners, he says, please forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Where did he learn that? From Jesus. And by the way, those who were stoning him to death were laying their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul. The very Saul who had the tremendous transformation with Jesus on the road to Damascus and became Paul who became the perpetrator and the, the executioner of the gospel of Jesus around his known world and started churches and wrote much of the New Testament. You never know what what thing that God's going to use to transform you. Listen, Stephen won. He died physically, yes, but he entered into the presence of Jesus. And so like Paul would say, it's absent from the body, present with the Lord. Whether I live or die, I win. So let's put flesh and blood on this. You know, my parents divorced when I was young, and you know that, and many of you maybe online do not know that. My father lived in another state, and so I was 
I was wounded, and I was stuck in that woundedness, and, and so I, my coping mechanism was the, the avenue of drugs and alcohol. And th- those were my, my coping mechanisms of choice, and so God convicted me. I, later in my teens, I got saved, and Jesus began to transform my life, but I had to deal with this issue of this unforgiveness with my dad, and, and so he began convicting me of that, and how am I going to release these negative emotions? And God has since you know, as I walk through this process I'm giving you, and I'm asking God, God, please transform this. Make something good out of it. Little did I know that within two years, God would call me out of my profession into ministry and give me the opportunity to teach the Word of God to people for the rest of my lives about how you can get healed and whole through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I say the gospel applied is always the answer to humanity's problem. Because if you apply the gospel, God can bring transformation. And yet when I went to my high school reunion, I met a lot of guys who also grew up in the same scenario I grew up in, but who were still stuck emotionally and mentally back in high school, who never moved on in life, who could never come under the authority of someone, who couldn't keep a job, couldn't keep a relationship, and was still dealing with life through their coping mechanisms, and they were a wreck. I'm telling you, God can transform no matter what. i give you one more example. This just happened recently. Donnie and I were out playing golf on Thursday at a course in Dublin, and we, we got linked up with a couple, and Joe and Carol. And so as we began you know, talking to them here, Carol grew up in Ohio, and she, as a child growing up, she was just moved from one orphanage to another all throughout the state of Ohio the entire year until she was 18 years old. Now, what could have happened to her is that she could have grown up wounded, hurt, bitter. Things happen to kids in orphanages that are not healthy and and, and can create tremendous amount of of woundedness. And so, um, you know, as we're having this conversation and she asked me, you know, Donnie says, well, this is my pastor. And she goes, oh, she goes, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I said, well, I'm preaching on forgiveness. She goes, forgiveness Absolutely, she says, that absolutely transformed my life. Absolutely transformed my life, brought healing into me. And so long story short, I mean, she's now 58 years old. Um, she is an airline attendant for NetJets. And she said, who knew that a little girl growing up in an orphanage, I've now been to 75 countries around the world. Well, because God brought healing. And so she says, I want to hear you speak. And so, I, you know, I had her she, right there. She went on our Facebook, and she liked the page. So, Carol, if you're watching, hats off to you. Thank you for the example. And so let me close with this. This is why this is, this is so critical and crucial for us, because when you and I come to the end of our lives, there's only two things that are really important. Your character and your relationships. Post-resurrection. That's really all that's going to matter. I've watched many, many people die at all different ages. But one of the things that I've noticed that when it's all stripped away, the beauty's gone, possessions are being left behind, the image of status is being taken away, most elderly people, especially are either you get to the the end of your life, you are either at your best or you are at your worst. You see, early on in life, the biggest temptation we have to overcome, lust. Midway through your life to the end of your life, the biggest temptation you have to overcome, unforgiveness. 
And if you allow your woundedness to carry on throughout your life, I'm telling you, you will become a grouchy, bitter, old person. And that will spill out on everyone and everything around you. Or you can allow God to heal that woundedness, to transform that woundedness, so that you become a joyful, loving, laughing, carefree kind of elderly person. How do you know the difference? Well, it's easy. If you go to somebody's house and you put the remote, you know, you didn't put like just the right angle and they just like explode on you, there's a deep wound there somewhere. But you go to somebody's house that's a little more carefree and it's like, you know, let's sit down, let's talk and let's, let's just open up and laugh and share together and there's a person who has probably experienced God's healing in their life. Why? Because I know every single one of us and every single person has had deep woundedness in their life, and how you care for that woundedness will determine how you end your life, joyful or grouchy. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we, we, we ask for you to do things for us we cannot possibly do on our own. We so, so, so need the help of the Holy Spirit. Father, you know the wounds are too deep, the scars are too thick, until the master surgeon Jesus comes and does what only he can do through your Holy Spirit. And but, uh, Father, we come to you today, we open up our hearts, and we're asking you to do that. No more suppressing it, no more just rehearsing it over and over in our minds, hoping and wishing that somehow it would have been different, it would have turned out differently. But, Lord, we accept the fact that life is not always fair. But regardless whether or not life is fair to us, we know we have a Heavenly Father who deeply loves us and wants to bring healing in the depths of our soul. And so, Lord, I pray that over every person here today, that, God, we will come to the place in our lives where we truly, truly, truly forgive we're willing to cancel that debt. We're willing to absorb that cost. And then to allow the Holy Spirit to bring healing within us as you transform that hurt into something that is beneficial to those around us. Father, I thank you for the countless individuals who have started entire organizations out of their pain that have been used and leveraged by the Holy Spirit as effective ministries ministering to thousands of people because rather than being bitter, they allowed you to transform that bitterness into something that is beneficial. I thank you for the countless number of men who have allowed you to heal their bitterness and have become mentors to young men who are going through the exact same things that they have gone through in order to speak wisdom and truth into their lives. Lord, I pray that all of the men in our church would want to become and desire to become that kind of man, that kind of apprentice of Jesus. I pray for our women to become godmothers to women around them, that they too would experience healing in their woundedness and then allow, God, that story to be leveraged for your kingdom's purposes as they help others take that journey, that painful journey in their own life. Father, I pray that through our woundedness, people will come to faith in Jesus the healer of our souls. 
And I pray that for every person here, every person who's listening online, that you would open up your heart, you would open up your life to Jesus. Salvation does not come because you were baptized. It does not come because you signed a card or you joined a church. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone as the only one who is able to make the payment to cancel the debt that you owed to your creator. And you're putting your full weight of your faith and trust in him alone to be Savior and Lord of your life. That you're commissioning your life to be an apprentice of him, to be a follower of his for the remainder of your life. That you, like all of us, might begin reflecting Jesus back to the world around us. I pray that for you. I pray that for you here this morning. That you're just here today. Open up your heart and your life and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came into this world and you died for me. I know that I have, I have sinned. I have messed up. I have made a wreck of things. But I know that you love me and you demonstrated your love for me that while I was still in this messed up state of being, where I am right now, that you died for me. You died in my place and you made that payment. You absorbed that cost for me. And right now this morning, I'm putting my faith and my trust in you alone as payment for my sin debt. Believing that you have canceled my debt and have marked it paid in full. I'm surrendering my heart and my life over to you all that I am to you, that you might become the CEO of my life and that you will direct my, my heart and my life from this day forward. May you begin the process of healing my woundedness through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, we thank you for anyone who's prayed that prayer, who's become a child of yours, a follower of yours, an apprentice. God, may they share that with someone and may you move their life forward from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we praise you. Amen. Let's stand as we close.